Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Today, I continue my conversation with Sai Krishna, a serial entrepreneur who calls himself the Metaverse Plumber, on building organizations to realize the visions of the founders. How having a focus on small squads, which are multi-skilled and self-contained, and the ability to take risks and feedback, and what a founder's formula should be and a key role of a founder whether it is to make everyone happy in the team or is it to help them realize the purpose and creating a ding world we also talk about metaverse whether it is hype or old wine or is it something substantial uh, some technologies like 3d printing which showed a lot of promise but ultimately has not seen success we also talk about the impact of new technologies on the carbon footprint as well as anyone looking to get deeper into the metaverse ecosystem what they should be focusing on and finally i asked him whether he got into ai because ai is part of his name and don't miss his answer listen on welcome to the software people stories sai thank you so much for having me in chief as an entrepreneur so far we've been talking about technology and then how you go understand users you talked about the squads but how do you build a squad and how do you build squads building an organization in addition to building a product that's uh, i i continue to be i'm i'm work in progress uh, on a huge note on that chief mm-hmm. but the yeah, one your thing style, which, uh, what has been your style of doing this right uh, one thing that i have noticed is given how fluidic some of these roles could be in their early days of figuring out what your customer wants you're actually doing three things you're figuring out your own role in that org you're figuring out how your squad supposed to operate and what success looks like at the end of month 3 month 6 and year 1 you're figuring out what your customer really wants in a in, in sort of a repeatable manner where you can actually see some success now as you do all these three uh you realize that the the way that these squads can be built is if i draw if i draw a 2 by 2 graph uh you require a high degree of generalization and sort of a median degree of skill which is you're not going after the 10x engineer you're not going after a person who is incredibly specialized in customer support or relationship building or business development you're going after someone who's able to be a sponge soak up as much uh, information soak in as much uh, requests from the market as much as possible be as observant as they can and then be almost a hose in terms of funneling that to the rest of the org in the most uh, palatable format and thereby setting the surface success so a squad for me is almost a sponge and a hose on one side which is uh, what gives you the chance to accumulate as much info and what gives you the chance to shape up as we call it as this info on the other side so internally we have five member squads what we do is uh, it's a it's sort of a combination between one product manager a couple of designers a full stack engineer and one generalist 
uh, who, who, who sort of comes uh, through on this. And these folks constitute a very specific initiative that they would attempt to do either in two weeks or in 12 weeks. Our belief is if you can't achieve something in 12 weeks, you can't do it in 36 weeks. Is it? Right? Like if it's, it, it's not scoped out uh, in, in an accurate manner in that case. So how do these quads form together? We just invest in hunger, right? Like there is no concept of uh, being a subject matter expert when it comes to a situation like this. You simply have to have the ability or the uh, the hunger to roll up your sleeves and get out there, talk to your customers and learn and implement what you're learning as fast as you can. So the only two variables you can really measure or invest upon here is the first one is willingness to learn, just being fluidic. And the second one is time to feedback or like the time to feedback resolution, which is from the time a customer has complained about something or given you some insight or given you some feedback to how quickly does that get to be featured inside the next release is, is all that you're optimizing the spot for. Right? Like this could be at a marketing collateral, something as trivial as marketing collateral to something as profound as a whole new release that is happening at an engineering level. But if your squad as the smallest time to gratification in, in some ways, right? Between what the customer says to what how your company reflects that. I think your squads are automatically set up for success there. So time to gratification and uh, and, and just learning learning ability on the other side. So when you build these squads with your passion rubbing off and your energy also being distributed, how does it feel when you have to take an exit decision? It's hard. I think the very, the very main nature of building a startup is on unbridled amount of optimism, right? Like uh, you are hoping for the 1%, the 1% that this is going to be a billion dollar outcome, the 1% that your customer is going to say yes, the 1% that you're going to create a category where a category might have been either difficult to create, not seem obvious or just seem too difficult for people before you to have come and done. And given that you're always hoping for the fact that things will work out and work out perfectly fine, taking a smack to the face, right? Either in terms of your customer churning, your, your team member churning, churn is never easy. And it's really just about how much churn are you willing to live across the board? You can't build an org where there isn't any amount of churn, right? So as you sort of have, see people go through the door, either as a customer, either as an investor, or either as a team member, you are left with little a choice but to Look at what you can do better over the next iteration, right? Because that bridge is pretty, more often than not, crossed, burnt, call it what you. The fact that it got there is requiring just as much introspection as the fact that whether you can save it or not at that point of time. So if, if there is a way, I mean, and it's never easy during the phase that it happens, we all react more from the strings at heart than the strings in the mind. Over a period of time, I think you realize that a palatable amount of this is truly what the founder uh, can do to differentiate themselves from uh, the pragmatic ones to the ones who are truly, to the, to the slightly more blinded ones. The pragmatic ones are able to build long-lasting orgs where it's fine. And in, in today's bearish market conditions, you see a lot of the companies doing these layoffs, right? So churn can actually happen on the other side where it's induced by the founder or induced by the founding team where you realize you still have an org to build. So even though it was of no fault of the employee, you could lay off thousands right, at some point of time. And it's never an easy decision. It's, so you, pragmatism, both at the employee as well, uh, pragmatism, both in terms of sizing up or shrinking down or losing someone at a palatable level is almost something that you learn as a rite of passage more than anything else. Initially, you're so in love with what you're up to. It's difficult. 
but over a period of time you realize it's it's a it's the very act of building that uh, you really need to be okay with this so how does the emotional bond with the team that you built get impacted by this couple of areas i think it's important for you as a founder to be declarative on what type of founder are you wanting to be right some founders want to be the arm around your shoulder be truly the friend with you right and uh, go on the hiking trip with you through the weekend some might want to be authoritarian some might want to be introverted it's i think we come in very different uh, shapes and sizes my piece to my team chief is uh, there's a reason why all of us exist inside these walls more than anything else it's to do our, our life's most gratifying work when we look back decades down the line if we haven't achieved that i am doing you a disservice and vice versa so have fun right first up you really really need to feel it from the deepest parts of your belly that you are excited about this if you're not you'll find a way to make this exciting for you but have fun optimize for joy uh, i am completely open to any rule being tweaked around until a point where everybody will claim uh, and and follow through on the fact that they are having fun and the second part from there is your job is not to be a friend your not job your job is not to be just a mentor your job is not to be a boss your job is perhaps to make everyone in your team look back over a certain period of time years down the line and say that phase of life is perhaps where i had the most impactful amount of work that i was able to put into the world right every hour of what you do and the way that it is produced into any outcome if i can maximize impact between all of us here inside this org inside these walls that's all that we need to be engineering towards so it's not going to be easy but it's going to be a lot of fun it's a wild jolly ride right and that that's typically how we set ourselves uh, up here so you got to enjoy what you're doing but also realize that you will never do this kind of work at any phase of life again which is what i aspire for so hopefully we're able to really live up to those values as we uh, see it through yeah that's probably a good segue to get into metaverse i suppose oh for sure <laughs> <laughs> how much of metaverse is hype and how much of it is old wine and how much of it is going to be practical you talked about uh, the 3d printer which was supposed to revolutionize pretty much everything for sure it has seen its limitations so and since you mention a 3d printer uh, let me let me use that as the example to point speculative bubbles around right any new piece of technology is in some ways a speculative bubble right we hope that this is the next big thing much like the internet was or much like the smartphone was or cloud computing was we've we've gotten it right a few times now each time that this has happened there has been a healthy dose of speculation to get us here now, some might call it optimism some might call it a builders mindset some might call it speculation which is what we are in right now um the metaverse is a significant amount of speculation today as we speak right like there is a lot that we uh, leave to lore there is a lot that we leave to the joys of the future in terms of getting it right but a speculative bubble is almost critical for the very survival and existence of a technology and let me explain why the 3d printer was widely reputed to be a part of every household uh, in back in 2008 9 10 right like as the technology was in its infancy and coming through together we all hoped and expected the concept of additive manufacturing to be uh, something that sits in our house and we get our new phone case and from it uh, a new nut or a bolt that is able to be uh, spit out from it and we are able to use it in our house it's been about 10 12 years and that's not happened and it's not like 3d printing died it it, it found its 
niche or it's it found its use cases in medicine industrial uh, use cases but it was never the grandiose vision that we had given it to be at one point and it never had a chance because there was not enough oxygen in the room speculation is almost like bringing in capital oxygen right which is you are allowing for a capital excess market in order to take brash bold and non linear decisions that are really important for the next stage of survival of the very technology something like 3d printing never had access to that which meant that it almost like a candle wax just whimpered away into into oblivion or non existence from the customers mindset and this speculation is found in markets where there are financial outcomes typically tied to the technology i sell virtual land i am able to hold a token i am able to spend more time inside the metaverse create a digital asset that someone else is going to buy for a eye watering amount of money there is financial speculation built into the instrument and these instruments together at a technology infrastructure level give you access to so much of capital that you are able to then sit and think through what 10 years can be and actually meaningfully make progress towards getting it there which is what allows a company like meta or facebook to have an engineering workforce of over 5500 people on facebook reality labs which is uh, their augmented and virtual reality site which far outnumbers whatsapp instagram messenger their actual money makers at any point of time the ability for you to make these outsized punts and bets because of these speculative bubbles is what leads to the to the creation of nonlinear technologies in the first place so while a lot of the metaverse is really about yoga babble right now uh, in terms of piecing a lot of these things together and envisioning this far distant land uh, i don't think that is a zero sum negative game i think it is really important for a technology which is as uh, difficult as virtual and augmented reality uh, in order to have access to that kind of capital in order to have access to that kind of uh, speculation and almost storytelling so that you are able to see it through uh, to the next logical outcome of ubiquitous uh, sort of existence between all of us otherwise you risk a 3d printing situation so with so much of capital going in would these solutions be affordable i think tech has enjoyed that more often than not which is we found it very difficult for tech to go upstream when it comes to access right like uh, you've never had something that's become more exclusionary you've never had something that's become more expensive uh, especially when the ability to make it has uh, become easier i would put the cost of components in a smartphone i would put uh, software prices uh, i would put access to internet at a per gb level we've always found that after a certain maxima you it's a race to the bottom right uh, a tech that is uh, that is tending to a large enough cohort of people always gets commoditized and commoditized tech always finds itself as a race to the bottom so that the cycle then repeats innovates and goes out there to the next big thing smartphones in a lot of ways have taken this uh, have taken this route haven't they and actually a interesting example where you have started from an exclusive piece of accessory that is almost a weblin good back then right like it, it it was really fashionable for you to have a smartphone to a point where it's it's almost a fundamental right at this point of time and the prices the data that powers it the features the silicon all of this over a period of time has found itself to be more accessible both at a price point as well as a technology parity uh, sort of perspective and every company smartphone is right now a rectangular brick with very little to differentiate from each other so there's a commoditizing function to it so i believe the metaverse is fairly similar there will be 
financialization of every nook and corner of it as much as possible uh, because of the very concept of uh, programmable money and cryptocurrencies etc but over a long enough duration when i say long enough duration i am talking about a decade and nothing more you have the ability to now permeate this to a broader and broader and broader audience and every cohort that you follow through just from our previous conversations is going to pay you lesser is going to be less technically uh, literate than the previous and is also going to want uh, a bunch of very different things from than your previously technically sort of qualified uh, cohort now as that happens you have no choice but to price it cheaper uh, innovate on your business models go to a commodity play and find ways of monetizing which are beyond the obvious and by very definition of scale technology sort of implodes on itself where it can't be an exclusionary product as compared to being something that is accessible and uh, mostly operates at a planetary uh, sort of system where it's a race to the bottom and everyone can use it what about the impact of all these technologies or solutions that are there or likely to come up on the carbon footprint today we are at this phase where i would put it as um, i would put it as ob- uh, three phases again oblivious brash and the corrective uh, i would the first phase is has just so much to build we have no clue nobody really even knows what's going to happen on a carbon footprint with something which is a new piece of technology that uh, is the so power that is needed for blockchain right. typically say that ne? yeah for sure and the earliest of days is you're just oblivious to this very fact that something like this needs to be taken into consideration uh, the second phase is you're very brash about it which is the growth and the financial levers and your biased interest towards them completely blind you from the very sustainability uh, sort of uh, narrative uh, to this kind of things which is the phase we are in today where uh, uh, blockchain companies and chains by themselves by their consensus mechanisms as well as uh, how they are able to operate are very brash they are incredibly energy intensive and require a significant amount of uh, compute in order to just do the most basic tasks we'll go from the phase of brash to the phase of corrective right and because we've made this error i think you would sort of start seeing undoing of a lot of these through architectural changes with respect to how chains work scaling solutions and l2s which operate on zero knowledge proofs uh, this is an error that was caused by us by all means right and you you then go from brash to saying okay that's not great uh, let me find a way in order to undo a lot of the things that are present here but the reason why they were brash is because you got to get this to orbit you got to get this to escape velocity as quick as possible you then make the uh, corrections where the apology is always easier than uh, the permission so i think we've gotten permission less in terms of the carbon pro- footprint and it's now like an issue that's really concerning you then bring it back uh, with the scaling solutions and the and, and and sort of your l2s and other things in order to make these carbon neutral or some are even saying carbon positive in some ways uh, than the other and most technologies might take this sort of same amount of uh, a path forward when it comes to one of my questions that i usually like to close our conversations with in terms of you know, career advisor guidance how exciting or how risky is it to get into the metaverse ecosystem for two segments of people now one those who have been in let's say more traditional probably on little on the technical side or there are also people who have been doing more of applications and in their mid career the other is people who are now considering getting into tech that's an interesting one chief i think the very act of building is in a lot of ways going to teach you more than uh, being on the sidelines so the first step is to perhaps look at what you are optimizing for 
if you are optimizing for purely financial gains and you're optimizing for uh, the easiest way to realize X number of dollars, there are actually easier ways to do that than building a company is probably the hardest path to wealth creation. So it's real, step one is to understand what variables are you optimizing for? Is it, uh, is it wealth? Is it the joy of learning? Is it being a part of a cool new space? Or is it solving a certain problem that you think has impacted you personally or it's an itch that you wish to scratch? As you go about this, the, the, the reasons for you to remain in a space have to be both intrinsic as well as market, which is the best combination is where you have a reason to stick around in a certain space, healthcare, education, uh, financial inclusion. There should be a reason in, in ways or the other for you to help resonate at least with the problem statement. The second is the market also needs to be conducive enough for it to yank you into a certain direction as you're going about. And as this happens, the very act of building needs to be something that you find joyous, right? And you find gratifying. So before you get started, just ask yourself, would you have fun seeing this through as a decades-long journey, 15 hours a day, seven days a day? And if that answer is yes, honestly, the rest figures itself out. The very act of longevity in, in venture building means that you have compounding ability of, uh, of like accumulating value. If you start from the mindset of making money, it's usually going to be disastrous, right? Like if you start from the point of just staying in the game, long enough till there is an outcome that you're super happy with in terms of the impact that you've created. The wealth is a byproduct that just happens, like irrespective. So in this one, uh, I would think, how long are you willing to stay in the arena for? Would you have fun while you're doing that? What is the reason why you wish to even do this in the first place? And can you cobble together a bunch of people around you who are as lunatic as you are in order to go do this for the next 10 years? If these four stack up, I think the concept of building something is just the most... Uh, is this the most interesting pursuit you could do, especially if you're in your early 20s? That is a wonderful conversation, Sai. And uh, I don't know if I will include this, but this is one question I had to ask. Did you get into all this because AI is in your name? <laughs> I'm sure somebody would have <laughs> asked you earlier. <laughs> no, no, sir. I think I was the farthest when it comes to knowing my computer skills well enough. Uh, while I have always had a profound respect for AI researchers and developers, I knew that's a skill I couldn't pick. So I was more a pitch deck maker and a storyteller who sort of meandered and made his way through to being a designer at times and a developer very few times in order to get my products together. So the AI in the name is more to mislead you into believing that I was, I was anywhere proficient as my friends were uh, in terms of getting this together. But uh, since that time, I think I, I used to run with this name called SciTech, which was in college, because the only thing that I used to obsess about was uh, tech optimism, right? Like it's, it's just lovely to exist in the world of tech. So I've always had a lot of fascination towards technology. I wish my coding abilities were as good as my fascination, fascination towards it. So the AI stops with just the name and nothing more than that. Thank you. But thank yeah. you so much. If you've just yeah. been, uh, yeah. this, this has been some of the best uh, sort of uh, exchanges in terms of org building. So thank you so much for having me in on this one. I've just had a lot of fun going about the points. Yeah, me too. I'm sure no, the listeners will also have a lot of things to pick up from. Thanks. Eh? Take care. Bye-bye. All the best. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, 
contact us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.